poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness. Now, nestled in the foothills of a mountain range, Greatness Village is the promised land the Chasing Poker Greatness community calls home. Here, you'll find elite teachers, aspiring pros, and primitive tribal warriors who grew tired of their old ways and found a better path. These are the stories of Greatness Village on Chasing Poker Greatness. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today I am bringing to you a villager episode of Chasing Poker Greatness, where I am having conversations, talking about the journey and the path of some of the more prominent villagers in Greatness Village. And today I'm joined by Darren, who's a barber, realtor, and aspiring grinder from Phoenix, Arizona. Darren has been a large part of the community for well over a year, hopping in the original iterations of Poker Power Hour back when you know we were like five or six strong. Darren, welcome to the show, sir. How you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's it's my pleasure as well. You're a great dude. Always enjoy having these conversations. Uh, you gave me more to work with in your intro, but I don't want to spoil the journey for the listener. So the first thing that we're going to dive into is uh, me asking you about your journey, your how the way that you fell into the world of poker. Wow, that's you, you think that I've asked this question a billion times, so I'd be better at it by now. But like, tell us about the path that you took to enter the world of cards? Well, um, so, you know, I played poker a little bit growing up. Um, you know, my dad uh, showed me how to play five-card draw and seven-card stud and stuff like that. And uh, just played a little bit in childhood, a little bit in high school. You know, and then around the, the, the moneymaker boom, unfortunately and fortunately for me, actually it was one of the probably the greatest things that ever happened to me is that I went to prison. For a couple of years because I was a meth addict for about 10 years. So we're going to pause there because we just covered like a lot of ground all in one paragraph. Um, so yeah, there wasn't a ton of poker before that. Yeah. But we also need to know who you are, right? And who you were as you were led into the world of poker. So let's talk about childhood. Where were you raised? Where are you from? Are you originally from Arizona? And also yeah. how old are you? So we can set the timeline. So I'm 48 right now. I'm born and raised in Phoenix. Um, yeah, I'm, I've been a barber for 20 years or so. My grandpa was a barber. I grew up uh, in a barber shop. He was um, a very prominent member of this community. I mean, like I, I know tons of people now. My grandpa knew everybody and, you know, everybody loved my grandpa and he was a great man. And so I got to grow up around him and, and his influence. And um you know, there was, uh, I mean, you know, I went off to college and I, uh, I was, I wanted to be a physical therapist, but, uh, 
you know, things got side sidetracked and, uh, I became a barber and, and, um, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of it. I mean, can you ask me some more specific questions? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so leading up to the meth and then going to prison, like what was your life like then? And oh. ev even before then, can we talk about any sort of strategy, any sort of um, entrance into the world of either gambling or poker or games of strategy? Sure. Well, um, so my dad used to take me to the to horse tracks a lot when I was a kid. And I think it was about sophomore in high school. I got kind of into that and I started reading some books on handicapping and I got pretty good at it. I, I just kind of got interested in the, you know, the statistics and the, and stuff about, about handicapping. So I would handicap horses and dogs and I would go to the track and win a little money. So I think that's kind of the only real, you know, in-depth strategy stuff I used to do. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, it's interesting because I had Peter on, who's also another villager, and he spent a year handicapping, researching horses as well. And it was kind of like an obsession of his was trying to figure out how to find an edge at the horse track. So there's that little commonality between you two. And then the drugs and college and things kind of getting derailed. Um, tell me about that. Well, uh, so I went to college, um, NAU, Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, and I didn't have a lot of money. Um, you know, my parents got divorced, and I, uh, I chose to live with my mom, which was kind of a mistake because my dad was a real stickler for math, and I, I, I give him credit for my studiousness and a lot of good things in my life. And my mom didn't have a whole lot of discipline. So I got into NAU and, uh, you know, I didn't have hardly any money to go to school with. And so I started selling pot and, um, you know, I wasn't this most studious person anyways, but I started making a lot of money selling the pot and that kind of graduated. And, um, my roommate in, in one of those uh, years in college was a criminal justice major. And when I was gone to class one time, he went through my stuff and found some weed that I had, called the cops on me, and, and I got kicked out of school. So I continued to um, to uh, sell drugs. I graduated to meth and cocaine and making a ton of money, and I was kind of tell me Tell me about your roommate. I mean, this person, were you he, he friendly? or No, he was just a person that I got stuck with. Um, yeah. I registered late one semester, and, and I, they stuck with stuck me with him. And, uh, yeah, he was he – was, from Lake Havasu, Arizona, and his family was all in the you know law enforcement stuff. And I don't know why he did it. I guess he was mad at me. I guess maybe he smelled the marijuana in the room or something from my drawer and yeah. just didn't like it. So went through it when I was gone and and it got me kicked out of NAU. You know, I mean not not blaming him. I shouldn't have been doing that stuff in the first place. But um Well so, so pot kinda, pot is like, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like weed is better than alcohol and it's kind of like an injustice that the laws have been so heavy on yeah. pot over the yeah. years anyway but yes. i mean yeah you're you're in school you're a kid kid snoops through your stuff because yeah. you just did and then you get kicked out and then all of a sudden you're not in school anymore and i assume you need money and so then that was when you started taking more risks yes yeah i was making a ton of money 
uh, selling drugs and stuff. And that's kind of just what I got wrapped up into. And then, you know, slowly I started dipping into the product. And before you know it, I was I was addicted to to meth, and I just kind of uh, degraded from there. And you know, I wasted ten years of my life. And and uh, you know, I was I was probably heavy into the drugs for about eight or nine years. And thankfully, you know, I got I got caught up. I was shoplifting one time and, and that's what sent me to jail the first, the first time. And then I did some parole violations. So I, I got sent to prison, which like I said, I think it was a great blessing because a lot of my, a lot of the people that uh, lived in the neighborhood that I was living in, my grandpa's neighborhood, he lived in this part of Phoenix called Maryville, which was a great area when he bought his house in the forties or fifties, but it's just a, a ghetto now. It's, it's a gangland ghetto. And, a lot of the people that I associated with, they're just, they stayed on the meth and they, they're just, they just never went anywhere. And they're, you know, I think it was just a great blessing that I was removed from that environment. And then when I got out, I lived with some, some family away from the neighborhood and I, and I got my life together, you know? Yeah. What did that, um, what did that look like? You know, how long were you in prison and then what was your experience like in- incarcerated? Well, I was in, in for about two years, a little less than two years. I think I got sentenced to two and a half years and for good behavior and stuff, a little less than two years. And, um, you know, it, it was a learning experience and it was it was OK. And uh, it really gives me appreciation for uh, for things today, because, you know, I would I would sit in, in jail and prison. and I would think, dang, man, it'd be so nice to be in the barbershop cutting hair right now and just, you know, watching the pretty girls walk by and. And just doing all the things that we take take for granted, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it was tough uh, in, in prison a little bit because I have a, a form of muscular dystrophy, and it's called periodic paralysis. So I get paralyzed, um, you know, for a couple hours at a time, usually once or twice a day. And uh, growing up was a kind of a challenge. I, for some reason, I never wanted anybody to know this. You know, it would have made it a lot easier if I would have said to my friends and everybody, "Hey, guys, I have." I have this uh, muscle weakness and that's why I walk funny sometimes. I just always tried to hide it. So in prison, it was a little bit, uh, it was a little tough because you have to you know, stick up for yourself and, and you have to, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a weird dynamic. It's also why I kind of, I think that I like tournament poker so much because it's so uh, hard and frustrating and you can, I mean, poker is in general, but um, like in high school, I, I wrestled and, and I, I wanted to wrestle, but I never wanted anybody to know about my muscle thing. So why didn't I mean, you want people to know? I don't know. Now, now that I'm an adult, I, I, if people want to know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, I just, maybe it was a, you know, down inside. I thought I was less of a person for having it, or I just didn't want to be seen as weak, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was a couple of matches in, in high school where I had, like we travel on the bus a couple hours to a different high school and when I sit still, that's when my condition sets in a lot, you know, there's certain things that precipitate it. And so I would just be totally weak and just get totally trashed on the mat. And my teammates were like, Darren, you got to be more aggressive, man. And I just kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know. So, I mean, I, I just always wanted, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, sur- a, I'm surprised ahead. your mom didn't, didn't step in and tell anybody. Yeah. Well, my mom at, at the time, unfortunately, was not, um, she was into a, a lot of the stuff too. She was, mm-hmm. she was in the whole drug scene and stuff at the time. And she's, she's got her life together too. She actually, uh, we both went to prison about around the same time, actually. 
Oh wow! So that was that was kind of a, but yeah, um, I I kind of suspect that my dad might have contacted one of my wrestling coaches and told him behind my back because they knew that I didn't like I didn't want anybody to know. I never wanted my girlfriends to know. Like I was sometimes I would get attacks during class and I couldn't get up to leave the classroom, and I would make an excuse. Oh, I'll catch you guys later or something. And it was really weird, but I think my dad might have told one of my coaches because he used to give me looks that you know. Like he knew something, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was just he could see physically that something was off with me or if my dad told him. I think my dad might have told him. But yeah. I mean, it was still rewarding. I, 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 you know, I didn't win a lot of matches, but the ones that I did when I was feeling really good, it was it felt really good. You know, and it was it was a, a good challenge to do that, you know, for sure. I was I've always enjoyed a challenge. I think even in poker, I I think I'm more. I more enjoy the competition even than the money or than anything else. I just really enjoy playing against good players and seeing if I can beat them, you know, much more than table selecting, game selecting and, and trying to trying to get that money. You know what I mean? I think that a desire to be great, a desire to perform at a high level, a desire to compete are much stronger drivers than money as it relates to people improving and elevating their poker game. Uh, Because the desire to compete at a high level, um, that will fuel you when things are going poorly, to keep trudging ahead, keep engaging, keep battling. If it's just purely money and you just get smoked and your brains get beat in and you're just buried, it's really hard to keep going (laughs) because you feel like every time you log on, you're just going to lose more money. And just in general in life, you know, we need driving forces that are more powerful than just financial gain that really motivate us and allow us to persist through the bad times. So, you know, you got involved with drugs, you went to prison. Tell me about, you know, the day that you got out of prison, uh, what your life sort of looked like then. I assume, you know, you were clean at that point too. Okay, um, but I wanted to talk about the poker inside prison for, for a oh, second. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, let's oh, talk yeah. about that. Oh, yeah. Well, in county jail, we played a lot of poker. And like I say, this was I went, I went to prison in December of 2004. And I got out in, I think, April 2006. So it was, or maybe a little bit later in 2006. Anyways, it was kind of fresh with the moneymaker boom. So it was real popular in there. So we played a lot in county jail. Then when I went to prison, um, you know, I, I went to a, a kind of a rinky dink yard at first and I got some tickets for smoking in my room and stuff. And I got sent to the big boys prison, which is a four yard, which you have, um, I think, two hours of rec every other day. So, you know, on rec, you work out and there's also a poker table and it's it's a kind of a profit thing run by the prison gangs. So they get a, they get 25 percent of of the profits on the on the poker table. And um, so. Uh, they just let that go on. That's just like, yeah, whatever. Let them go. Pretty much. I mean, they have a tally sheet of who owes what. And whenever the guards come around, who's ever, somebody's always in charge of running the poker table and keeping the books. And they have a little sheet. When the guards come by, you put the sheet in your sock. And, you know, if they want to be real jerks, they can give you, they can confiscate your um, your chips. We use old cards and we rip them up for chips. So a quarter of a playing card is a chip and usually it would be five cents or 25 cents, whatever. So, you know, I started playing there a little bit and like I say, I'm pretty good with math. My dad always was always a stickler with math. So the guy that was running um, the, the poker table 
kind of got ousted and they put me in there and I never made one mistake. You know, the guy, the other guy was always kind of off a little bit. I never made one mistake. Everything was spot on all the time. So I, I ran the poker table and we just have cash games. We play some no and hold them, but a lot of, you know, wild card games and stuff like that. And we have tournaments once in a while, no one tournaments, but it was really popular because it was all on TV. You know, we had TV and we had a few channels. We had ESPN. So we sat there and watched the World Series of Poker and Moneymaker all, all day long. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it was, a, it was a good pastime and it was, it was fun. So and that was your entry into poker. Uh, yeah, that kind of gave me the poker bug. Yeah. So then um, when I got out, you know, I, I just, I went to live with my uncle in a, in a kind of a nice part of town. And I, Let's I let's pause one sec because do you do you have any interesting stories from your time playing poker in prison? Any funny tales that you remember? Mm, the only one that I can really think of was that. Uh, well, it was when I was still in county jail, getting ready to go to prison, and there was a guy that I went to high school with who was in there. He was he was getting ready to do about fifteen or twenty years for a lot of stuff, stealing cars. And I think Grand Theft Auto was the most thing. And um, he was in debt to the poker table, like about uh, $80 or something like that, which at the time, it was probably still the same way, but at the time, money inside there is worth a lot more than it is on the outside. So 10 bucks is like 50 bucks on the outside, you know? Mm-hmm. So he was, he was in debt about 80 bucks. And I had ran up a credit of uh, about 80 bucks, about 100 bucks. And I was getting ready to get out, and there's really no way that can be paid. So I was going to cover my friend Brent. Um, his debt. And so, uh, you know, I think it was the last day before I got out, I was involved in a hand and I, it was some kind of wild card game. And what ended up happening was on the river, I could have made the call. The guy had the nuts and I had the second nuts and I would have been able to, to credit Brett for about 160 bucks, but I lost it. So I went broke and I couldn't, <laughs> And I couldn't pay his debt. I was, oh, like, no. I was like, I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry. He's like, nah, don't sweat. I mean, it really wasn't that big of a deal. He was, Brett was kind of a heavy hitter. He was what they call a torpedo, which is when there's somebody that needs to be taken care of, like a child molester or somebody that's broken the rules. He's the one that goes and does the, does the dirty work. So he wasn't in any real danger. He could work it off. But it was just kind of kind of a jerk move to – I could have just played it safe, you know, and he would have been wise of his debt. But, but I made the call and had the second nuts, and and I wasn't able to pay his debt. Good thing you didn't get torpedoed right before yeah. you got out of there. Um. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I almost did actually. Did you? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Some people got to do it, but a guy vouched because I think I was thirty bucks in the in the hole at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, and the guy that was running the the game in the county jail said, "I'll cover him." I told him, you know, I'll send some money as soon as I get out. He trusted me, and I did. So he covered me. They were gonna, they were gonna rough me up a little bit. Yeah, that sounds sounds like you don't want to have many debts in the prison poker game. No, you don't. In a world where a fish dog bets the flop, and you don't know what to do, one man, Coach Brad Wilson, has a surefire plan. Neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle. Rated R.
100 NL player, former Sergeant Elijah Shears. Before I got Nuffle, I had run into a lot of dock bets. And I think once you play a certain amount of hands, you know there's something wrong with our opponent's strategies, but you don't know how to play to maximize CP against it. And it's very frustrating. I looked at the document and I couldn't believe that I paid money for it. I actually doubted that it could provide value because it was so brief. But since then, it's repaid me just over and over and over again. And it's one of the most consistent money makers built into my strategy that sheds light on just how bad your opponents are. And it took me 20 minutes to perfect it. And it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm speechless. It's just that good. The simplicity of it is part of it being a masterpiece. <laughs> Nuffle. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash courses. So now we'll continue with the exit to your uncle and, you know, living in a nicer house and beginning this new chapter of your life. Yeah, just, um, you know, I already had my barbering trade and I went to work doing that and just started saving money and, and uh, you know, got a started renting houses of my own and, and uh, eventually bought a house and kind of things went good from there. As far as poker, you know, I, I, um, there was one time, I think it was around 2008 or something like that, where I got a, I got a full tilt account and started playing a little bit, but I, um, I didn't really, and I think I might've bought one book or something, but I didn't really get into it that much. Um, I was into other, other things. I got into other hobbies. And, uh, you know, I took a few shots. I would go to the casino and play a cash game. I remember one time I lost, uh, I think, 900 bucks in a 14-hour in a session where I was up and down and up and down. And then the huge, the huge pot on the last uh, the last hand, I, I ended up down 900 bucks. So I had a few experiences like that where I just I just didn't get, get into poker. You know, I just I, – I, and then after, you know, after Black Friday, I remember one day I, I tried to log on and I saw – you know, the, the FBI, whatever, it's shut down. And I just never really got into it. And, you know, I was thinking the other night, what prompted me to get back into poker? But I know around 2017 or so, um, I started, I, I think it was probably podcasts. Some, I listened to somebody's podcast, maybe Turn Up Poker Edge or something like that. And I started wanting to get back into it. So I got a computer and an ACR account and started playing a little bit and, Ever since then, I've just been kind of, I kind of got the bug. You know, I really love poker and, and love trying to get better and, and studying and the community and everything. So from there, getting your account on ACR, I assume life's going pretty well. You're still doing the barbering deal. Was that pretty much your sole occupation from the time that you got out of prison until current day? Yep, pretty much. I just uh, got licensed as a realtor not too long ago this year, so I'm starting in that. I there was one time um, during uh, when I after after NAU and when I was uh, dealing the drugs and stuff, I worked at a mortgage company, kind of as my cover, I, as my day job, you know, so I could wear a suit and tie and hide my money and stuff. So I I, I had a lot of experience in the mortgage industry, so I I kind of have a leg up on that. I, you know, passing the real estate school and the test was kind of easy because I know all the documents and stuff like that. So just kind of got into, into realty, but yeah, been, been a barber for, for many years and it's been a, been a rewarding career. And, um, yeah. 
What are your plans in the real estate game? You know, I know a ton of people, so I just want to get more involved in that and um, and just kind of slowly out. You know, standing up for nine hours a day cutting hair is starting to hurt my back, and it's kind of kind of tiring. So uh, I want to really, I want to just own more of my time. You know, mm-hmm. um, I just want to own more of my time and, and be able to uh, to play poker more and have just be kind of be my own boss a little bit more. You know, absolutely. And I think I just heard on your phone the Slack Slack notification that I hear all the time, um, which is actually a nice little segue to uh, Greatness Village and finding the Slack community. Where and like, where did you find out about you know my coaching, my stuff? You're one of the you know the OGs in Poker Power Hour. Yeah. Um. So right before COVID, you know, the end of, um, end of 2019, I think it was, I was, uh, going through a breakup with my uh, ex fiance and I was, um, I had to move out of the place where I, that I was renting. The owner was selling it and, uh, I was kind of going through a difficult time. I had to live with a, with a, a friend that lives kind of remotely. So I was driving a lot and I just, I uh, found the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast, and I really loved it, man. You know, I just ate up every episode I could, I could hear, and I, I still, I just think it's the best, the best uh, poker podcast out there. So that's kind of where I, you know, I got it, and I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, I just signed up for, uh, for the newsletter and started coming to the Poker Power Hour. I just, I just think the content is 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 the greatest on the on the podcast. You know. Thanks, man. Uh, I appreciate the kind words and, you know, it means a lot. Um, means a lot because, yeah, I think very highly of you. And again, you've been here through the journey of the village, right? Like, I don't know how many people were in the village when you joined, but I know that like, it probably wasn't more than 50. And when I joined, like, it's funny because I started it. So I was like, I remember the day that I was like the one person in there by myself, right? And then, um, it slowly grew and more people started contributing and more people started finding their way in. And now these days, like I don't even have to post anything. I mean, everything just kind of self-sustained. Everybody will break down hand histories and ask questions. And it's really just turned into, it's, it's grown into a life of its own. And yeah. for, you know, folks that have been here the, the whole time, uh, very, very grateful for y'all because y'all are the catalyst that brought that um, into being. And yeah. um, well, you know, I'm a member of a of a few groups, um, some study groups and stuff. And what I think sets the village apart, I think it's your values that you have, Brad. Because in the other groups, people aren't so willing to open up and be vulnerable, and they're not so. I mean, in other groups, it's, it's kind of like. Um, let me show these people how good I am. Let, let me show, let me show these people how much strategy I know. And in, in the village, it's more of kind of, Hey guys, I'm struggling with this um, because of these reasons. Can anybody help me? And then boom, boom, boom. There's four responses right away of people going through the same thing. So I think it's just people are, you know, more about connections and more about helping and, and more about the realities of, of poker, you know, in, in, in the village. Yeah, it's. I was having a conversation with someone, and 
it was about my stance. I can't even remember what it was. One of my stances, you know, I got, I have some stances and I told him like, you know, I'm, I'm worried that like, I believe that it was on how males treat females, like in the poker world. And I, I told them that like, you know, this is what I believe. This is what I stand for. Sometimes I get worried if I say these things that like, it'll drive por portions of my audience away. Um, and not just that thing specifically, but other things that I've said as well and other beliefs that I have. And, you know, they just kind of told me like, you know what, Brad, like, this is why the village is the way that it is. Like you naturally repel people that don't share your values and don't share your perspective in the way that, you know, they look at things and that just naturally repels all of those people that, you know, I don't want in greatness village. And I assume that the, the folks who are in there probably don't want those people in there as well. And then it just gave me a lot of comfort in just being myself and saying what I believe and just like never holding back that like, yeah, I think this is messed up. I think we can do a better job of X, Y, or Z. And so, yeah, I, I wasn't even aware that that was a thing that was happening. It just was like all organic. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Now out of, out of all the training platforms, communities on the market, you know, why does CPG resonate with you so much? And what other training communities are you a part of? Well, um, I, I, I'm a subscriber to uh, pokercoaching.com and there's a, a study group that, um, on there that I, that I try to participate in as much as, as I can. I've done a lot of them. I've, I, I started, uh, with tournament poker edge a few years back. I subscribed to that for a little while. Learn Pro Poker, I've subscribed to. With the village, with I think it's just the personal connection. You know, a lot of times when I'm there's something that I'm thinking of that I want to ask questions about, I want to learn about. It's kind of hard to frame the question the right way because I have a natural fear of like looking dumb or sounding dumb, a dumb question. But I never have to worry about that with with uh, with the village. You know, it's just. I don't know. It's just uh, people really care, you know, and no one's no one's making fun of anybody else, you know, and yeah, it's that's, safe. It's a safe zone, safe, um, safe place. We will make fun of each other, though. Like that's <laughs> it's all fair game to to make fun of each other once the relationship is established. Um, tell me about preflop bootcamp because you were one of the first people that went through preflop bootcamp, and you also performed very well in your, as a matter of fact, I think that you outperformed John in like the second final exam, if I remember uh -huh. correctly. Right. Just by a few points, right? Just by a few points. Yeah. But you were very, very studious. You were very um, invested into improving your preflop game and talk about bonding and forming relationships. That first preflop bootcamp that was Price at ninety nine dollars. It's now two ninety seven, and yeah. like everything from my perspective, kind of went wrong from the jump. We we didn't get in with range trainer. Uh, the capability wasn't what I wanted, and so it was like, oh shit! Like whatever. I'm gonna like come hell or high water. This group of people is going to learn their ranges. Um, yes. So tell me about that boot camp experience, and if you remember it as fondly as I do. Yeah, it was great. Um, I got partnered up with Doc, which was a great experience. And um, you know, the first cup, the first day, I was kind of like, "Oh shit, 
I didn't know it was going to be that hard. You know, there's like all these ranges that I, I can't even memorize the first one. So, um, you know, I had to dedicate several hours per day. And I, I remember it was originally supposed to be a week, but we extended it another week, you know, which was understandable because of things that went wrong. Mm-hmm. But, um, but and yeah. I was in there that time too, by the way, like for those of you, like if you're ever worried about like investing in like an early iteration of a product, like, holy shit, I was study partners to like every single group. I probably was doing like range reviews for 30 hours over the course of that first week. Yep. Yep. And I had to dedicate, you know, I thought I would be able to do it in one week, but for me, it wasn't, it it was like 30 hours of study for me of of memorization, you know, so it took me two weeks and, and it was hard, but you know, I think it really paid off because um, before, you know, there's maybe it's just my natural neediness, but you know, you're, you're, you're facing a raise and you've got ACE five suited and you're like, I mean, just me naturally, I just want to flat, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot, a lot of these hands, I just want to flat. So it's hard to, I mean, I think that makes me easier to play against, but now with pre-file boot, boot camp, okay. I know my raises, you know, I know my, I just know what I'm supposed to do with the hands. And so I just do it. It takes it takes the emotion out of it. This is what I'm supposed to do. So this is what I'm going to do. If I don't do this, then I'm fucking up, you know? So it kind of removed the, the emotion out of it. And, um, you know, I think that's basically it. I, you know, you have a, you have a, a set strategy of, you know, what, what you're supposed to do with certain hands. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, sticking to that as, I, I, I haven't played a ton of cash games since then, but when I have, I've been miles more successful than I used to be, you know? Yeah. I mean, lots of, lots of the downstream strategic failures on like flops, turns and rivers stem from messing up pre-flop. And when you plug those leaks, the other downstream ones that you didn't even realize were related to pre-flop mistakes sort of disappear overnight. And then you're like, Oh, this feels much better than it did before. Um, When you think about joy in your career playing cards thus far, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I'm winning tournaments, winning, winning a tournament in Vegas. It's always nice to get that first place. It's, there's nothing else quite like it. I think a close second and maybe even, maybe even better than that is just the, um, the friendships that I've made. You know, I, I really enjoy you know, being able to reach out to people that I thought at first were inaccessible, you know, you know, people like yourself and, and, um, yeah, just, um, you know, I, I go to Vegas and I've, I've met a couple of people through different forums and, and we're friends, we meet up and stuff and, and, uh, yeah, it's just the competition and, and the camaraderie. Yeah. Same. I mean, this is sort of the, the benefit for me as the coach is to create all of these great relationships with you guys that sort of persist through, you know, pre-flop bootcamp and persist through the courses and persist through poker power hour. It's just, I've met so many people in this experience of building and growing CPG as a business that, you know, if I, if I'm honest in the beginning, I was in it for the impact, making impact in people's poker careers. And then the money <laughs> was another motivator for me. But what I didn't realize is the thing that 
I value the most it are just the relationships that I have with folks in the community. Um, yeah. On the opposite side, pain. When you think about pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Uh, blowing tournaments, um, making moves that now that I've done some mindset work and um, some presence work, you know, just making the moves that you know are wrong. You're like, you grab the chips and you're like, Fuck, I know I shouldn't do this. <laughs> and then you put them in, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just things like that. Um, uh, it caused a lot of pain at the, at the beginning, you know, um, you walk away and for the next 12 hours, why the heck did I do that? Yeah. Uh, even before uh, the greatness village or anything like that, I, I satellited into a big tournament one time and I, I did that. I, the guy got trips on the river and I knew he had trips and I just had the overbear trip to the original boat flop board. And, uh, you know, I, I just ate myself up for, for a, a couple of days for that one. But, you know, I, nowadays I don't make those moves as, as much. And when I do, it doesn't really bother me as much. You know, I've, I've plugged a ton of leaks, but um, I think I used to have, pain for reasons why I didn't really know why it was painful. But now that I've done some investigating, I, I know why it's painful. What's and an example? I, just like what I'm talking about, you know, just, just making plays that I know are bad or. So or you not. would feel, feel pain, but you didn't realize that was where the pain was coming from. I didn't realize why I, w- I did that. You know, I was, ah. just, I would just kept, why did I do that? Like, like I've heard you say before, Early in your career, you'd go back to the hotel room and say, why did I do it again? What's wrong with me? You know, you start to question yourself, am I ever going to stop doing this? You know, mm-hmm. what is wrong with me that I have to do this? I'm such an idiot. Why did I do that? You know? I think and- for me, it was less so. I mean, there was some self-flagellation, but also just a bewilderment of like, you did it again. <laughs> why did yeah. you do it again? Like, exactly. Luckily... Luckily, I haven't felt that way in a while. And I think that like eventually, either one of two things happen. And I'm going to guess the second one. Either one, I stop doing things like that, which I don't think is the case. Or the second is I'm able to forgive myself much more quickly than I was previously for doing something that maybe I know is a mistake. And that's just the reality of the game. Is like It's built into win rate that you're going to do things that are regrettable. You're going to take risks and, you know, try to do something, quote, unquote, outside the box. And sometimes it doesn't work out. And I guess that like as a, you know, 37 year old man at this point, I trust myself. And when I do something that blows up in my face, I would much rather just trust myself and say, you know, you're safe. It's all good. Let's keep going and move forward. Then the other side of just beating myself up, uh, Unnecessarily, really. Yeah. Um, who's who? Do, who have you done the mindset work with? Like, where did this come about? Oh, mostly Jason Sue. I'm Mr. Sue. Yes, yeah, so I'm taking his uh, Unbreakable course right now, mm-hmm. and it's really helping a lot. Like, I've got the mindset now that I'm 100 percent responsible for everything that I do, and especially in poker. You know, I'm responsible for my losses. I'm responsible for my wins. I'm responsible for paying attention, taking the edges, finding the edges, taking them. Um, you know, I'm responsible for not la di da and 
you know, looking around, Lucy, Lucy having a sandwich, you know, I'm, I'm responsible. So yeah. And, and being present and, um, you know, um, the, the muscodystrophy thing, um, it creates a weird feeling in your body and it's, uh, the mindset work has helped me get over that, you know, um, what's the weird feeling? Could you, well, well, when you, when I start getting weak, when I, when I, when I get my, my paralysis attacks at the, at the, at the table, and I know that my appearance is a little bit different. I kind of used to let that get um, kind of distract me from focusing uh, on on the on the hand and the ranges and stuff, and I would just kind of be uncomfortable. But but I'm kind of learning to work past that. Um, that's also why um, I, Mr. Kale Clayton is he's one of my heroes because he has spinal muscular atrophy where he's paralyzed for 90% of his muscles, but he feels everything, which is like the thing that I have is periodic paralysis is a form of muscular dystrophy. It's like 1% as bad as what Mr. Clayton has to deal with. So, I mean, the things that I have to deal with physically and mentally, I just have the utmost admiration for what he has to go through. That guy is a freaking gangster for for doing the things that he does with the uh with the challenges that he has i mean it's just amazing yeah he's he's a very special awesome human being that i'm very blessed and honored to be friends with and yes. um you know range trainer pro is his baby and yeah kale's just kale's the man and yep. i love all my interactions with him and we will have another podcast getting released soon with kale and you mentioned something like when you're thinking about your paralysis attacks that it takes the focus away from playing poker. And there's something to that. We only have a limited amount of focus. We only have a limited amount of bandwidth. And anytime it's on something else, whether it be a relationship struggle, whether it be a fight you got into, whether it be you're hungry, you're bored, a ball game on TV, a bet you made, something that you know you should have said or should not have said, whatever these issues are that are ruminating in your mind that you bring your attention and focus to, distract you from your focus at the poker table. They distract you from being present and analyzing the data points and making good decisions. And that's why, you know, in the elite program, one of the major components of it is dealing with macro problems because when your life is not going well, it's going to filter down into poker and you're going to play much worse at the poker table because of it. So just something for the listener to bear in mind is that like, you may think that getting into a fight with your significant other isn't going to cause problems when you sit down at the poker table, but I promise you that it will. And you may not even ever be aware of what's going on, but it does make an impact. And so getting your shit together from a macro level holistically will do wonders for your poker career. And uh, with that said, with that said, we'll segue into some lightning round questions for you. Darren, if you could gift all poker players one book to read, what would it be and why? Hmm. A gift one, one book. Um, probably be a Painless Poker by, by Tommy Angelo. That's that's twice in the last few conversations I've had somebody's brought up painless poker. Mr. Tommy Angelo doing work 
I love Tommy. If you could erect a billboard, every poker player's got to drive past on the way to the casino. What does your billboard say? Don't be a douchebag. <laughs> Pretty solid billboard. Yeah. Um, unless, of course, you... Ah, never mind. We'll get... <laughs> I, I won't even... Um, let me ask you this. When you think of friendships, and I know this is going to put you on the spot, but what's a close friendship that you've created in Greatness Village? Close friendship. Um, Howie? Howie and Peter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those two guys. What about Howie and Peter do you love? Um, about Howie, I love that he is so willing to, um, to put his worst plays out there and, and take the heat, you know, the, the public shaming. And um, I think you know, he's trying to break my brain is what I think. <laughs> uh, Peter really got me when he put out that, uh, that thing where he offered to, um, for anybody to reach out to him, you know, um, when he was going through the, the time, I think, I think his dad passed, right? Is that what happened? His mom. Mom passed. Yeah, yeah that just really got me. He's, he's a great guy. Um, yeah, you know, that's, I think that's just what uh, the village is about because you know, everybody goes through, through the hard times. And, and just like you just mentioned before, when, you, when your outside world isn't, isn't, isn't on point, your game's not going to be on point. So we need somewhere to, to uh, find some help with that. And yeah, I just thought that was the greatest for him to put that out there. Yeah, I, I remember that in Peter's episode number one of these villager episodes, Peter B. Uh, Darren, it's been great having you on the show. It's been great learning more about your story, things that you know I didn't know. And any parting words before we sign off? Nope, I just appreciate you having me on. And I, I really... I love the work that you do and, and I love that you're, um, you know, vulnerable and you tell us about your struggles and you're pretty much an open book with us. So thank you very much for that. And just don't ever stop being you. I hope not unless I like have a stroke that literally breaks my brain. Howie, Howie, you, you may want to stop going so hard on these like horrible punts. The thing is, Howie actually plays a lot of hands well. But then he'll like save up the one blow up to show to everybody. That's yeah. The- he don't care, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the uh, the honey badger. He don't give a fuck, right? <laughs> you know what I'm gonna do it again? I'm gonna punt. <laughs> what I'm gonna do tomorrow. <laughs> no, he, he's not. You know, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's just he just he puts it out there for us. Funny story about Howie. I went to Cherokee with another private coaching student, Brandon, who's also a villager in the group, and. We went to Cherokee and I told the village I was going there and I had on my CPG hat and was just kind of walking around and Brandon kind of like nudges me and he's like, yo, somebody else has a CPG hat on in here. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like, who's going to, we've only sold like nine. I mean, who, how, how could that be? Right. Um, and sure enough, it was Howie. He saw that we were going to be in Cherokee and drove up from Tennessee a few hours and was just there playing cards and had no idea that he was going to be there, but it was a very pleasant surprise. We Did you guys having, walk up to him and, and ambush him or what? I walked up to him because he had the hat on. I didn't recognize him. I'm like, yo, that's a nice hat you got. 
And like he stood up and hugged me, and I was like, "What the? <laughs> What's uh, happening right now?" You didn't recognize him? No, I I didn't. He looked different off outside <laughs> of Zoom with a hat on. Um, as, as soon as he like talked, I knew. Like I, huh. I obviously yeah. I recognized him then, and yeah, we ended up having dinner. He ended up stay, spending the night with us in our hotel um, over awesome. the night, and then going back home the next day. But yeah, it was it was really cool having that little impromptu villager meetup. And uh, hopefully we'll get out to the West Coast in the near yes. future. Vegas. Vegas. Spend some time together. Can't wait. And yes. uh, again, pleasure and honor having you on. Garen, have a great rest of your day, sir. Thank you. You too. Bye now. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter, join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.